0: Now that we've ended Mark, we want to take a few weeks and talk about our theme for the year. Um, On January 1st, we we introduced it. It's Reproduce, Called to Disciple. And you see it on the front of your your worship folder there. And this year, we want to focus on discipleship and what it means to be in discipling relationships. Yesterday, I went out back, and and we have a, a very young avocado tree. And I don't know if any of you have tried to raise avocado trees I see, I go to my, my parents house and they, they used to have this huge avocado tree and I know Jacob and Sarah have two avocado trees and there's bearing fruit all over the place and shade and these huge trees. And so city of Anaheim was offering free trees and one of them you could get was an avocado tree and we said sure. And we, we got an avocado tree and that was probably five or six years ago now. I went out back yesterday and I look at our avocado tree and it's still about this high. There are more dead leaves on it than there are live leaves, although this year we're, we're getting some. and um, one of the things I discovered was that trees grow better when you water them. <laughs> one of the we, we have sprinklers. I thought that would be enough water, but in, in researching avocado trees, especially when they're young, they need a lot of water that you need to deep soak them and, and get those roots going. And so this year I started doing that. And I've done that a couple times and trying not to forget the hose some days and find water running down the driveway. But, and, and I went out yesterday and there's all kinds of new growth. There's all kinds of leaves growing now and buds. And we're a long way probably from, from bearing fruit, but the, the, the flowers are there and the new growth is there. Because I took the time to water it, and just to take care of it a little bit. It's interesting, as the avocado tree grows, it it is able to give more shade, and as it gives more shade, the dirt around the bottom of it stays damp longer. The sun doesn't dry it out, and it becomes really self-sustaining with the amount of water from the sprinklers. But right now, at this stage, it needs just a shot in the arm. I was thinking about that and, and trying to remember to water from now on, And thinking about our theme for these these next few weeks and for the whole year of reproduce and discipleship. And really there's a lot of similarities to to a a Christian and our, our Christian walks. How do we water believers? How do we inspire growth? How do we bring someone into maturity with Christ? If you think about just the natural order of things... We know that when you have a child, there are things that you have to do to train them to become an adult. It's not just a a hands-off proposition that we say, okay, you're three, you're good. Go get the world. We we do things to bring people along. And as we think of discipleship, we're thinking of doing that in a spiritual sense. In your notes, I I have at the, the top, first starting to look at the need. And the question is, is there even a need for this? Is there a need to develop believers that are deep in their faith and deep in their walk with God? Shouldn't that just automatically happen? I was looking through this this week, some of my old friends from high school, looking through for their Facebook pages and stalking a little bit, and um, all from my high school youth group guys and girls that I thought at the time were on fire for God. And it was interesting to to look through their pages and to see where they are now and to see that very few of them are actually still walking with God. Very few of them still profess to be Christians. You look at their pages and your heart sinks at the things that they're saying and the things they're into. And I found myself asking the question, well, what happened? What happened? We were in church and we were studying together and and where was the disconnect that those people fell away? Gallup did a a poll and actually George Barna did one as well and the numbers were identical. But Gallup did a poll asking Americans if they are born again Christians, born again evangelical Christians. How much of a percentage do you say would say yes to that? Any ideas? What? 90% is those that say they're Christians. But as soon as you say evangelical born-again believers, the, the number drops to about 35 to 49%. Somewhere in there. It's, it's a little bit of a range. But still, what would happen if 39 to, or 35 to 49% of, of America was on fire born-again believers that are changing the world for Christ? What would happen? (laughs) I'm thinking more of how we're salt and light and and how we influence a culture for Christ. Because you look at our culture, and I'd have to say there's a disconnect there. Either the the poll is wrong, what people are saying is wrong, or Christians aren't changing the world for Christ. There's a need there. There's a problem there. And I would argue that the problem is we have a whole lot of people in our culture that say they're born-again evangelical Christians and have no idea what that means. Maybe they've accepted Christ. Maybe they've said the prayer. And the prayer is not magic. It's, It's a heart that is repentant and has faith in Christ. And I think we deceive people sometimes by saying, say this prayer and you're a believer. Because it's the heart that that changes us. But we have so many people that are sitting in pews in America this morning that say they are believers that have never gone past the first step of Christianity. And their roots are as shallow as can be. And as soon as somebody steps on one of the roots, the plant dies and they walk away. In recent years, in the last 25 years, 30, 40 years... We've seen a rise in a, in a movement among churches in America to focus on church growth, to focus on bringing as many people in. And one of the ways that the movement does that is typically, let's, let's not preach the gospel. Let, let's preach some really feel-good messages. And people can read the Bible on their own, and we, we change the message of what we're doing to try to bring more people in. And, and thousands are going to those churches. Thousands. Thousands. John Stott says this, For many years, 25 or more, the church growth school has been dominant. I rejoice in the statistics, but we must say it is growth without depth. I believe it was Chuck Colson, and he's referring to Chuck Colson who passed away yesterday. I believe it was Chuck Colson who said that the church is 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. Many are babes in Christ. Many are babes in Christ. That's not growth. At Village, we believe in church growth, but it's about growing each individual to maturity in Christ. It's about each member coming to, to know what it means to walk with God, to count the cost, and be committed to walking with God. And then we will see growth. And then we will see people that stick with their faith. See, the answer isn't that church needs to be flashier. The answer isn't that church needs to meet more of my needs. It's not the mindset that says, well, I, I pay the pastor. I pay him to preach, administrate, meet my needs, counsel. I pay him, he ministers. I'm the consumer. And sometimes we get into that mindset with church, and that's not the answer. In fact, those things will end up in failure where people walk away from the faith. The need is great. So how do we keep people? I'm not talking at Village. How do we keep people in the faith? How do we develop believers that are sold out for Christ that nothing will change that decision? Nothing, no circumstance, no event in life, nothing will change that decision. At Talbot, as I was taking classes at Talbot, probably about every third class, they'd start by saying, get together with a group of five or six guys and, and answer these questions. Sort of getting to know other men. And one of the questions was always, what is something that was influential in your decision to become a pastor? And in every case, and I am serious, 100% of the time, throughout my six years at Talbot, in every class, their answers always came back to, well, you know, there was this man. And he taught me what it meant to walk with Christ. You know, there was this person, and they invested time in me. Not just time playing, but time discipling. And in every case, the answer came back to someone taught them what it meant to walk with God. Just for fun to see if, how it would work out, we had an elder meeting yesterday morning and I asked the elders the same question. I, I said, so, so men, what has been instrumental in you deepening your walk with God? And I didn't tell them where I was going with it or anything like that. Every man came back to a person that invested in them, That taught them what it meant to walk with God showed them the power of Jesus Christ. Now, none of them are saying that that person is where the power was. They were all saying that that person directed, someone took the time to direct them to Jesus Christ. Now, that's interesting to me. Because what do we want as a church? We want believers that are solid in their faith, that are sold out for Christ, that are leaders in the church, that are standing up and able to teach and able to minister. But this year, as we look at Reproduce Called to Disciple, the question I want to answer as a church is, are we doing the things that get us there? If that's the goal, are we getting there? And how can we do better? Interesting questions. I believe that that relationship, those discipling relationships, is the key. One of the keys to people deepening their walk with God. And as we'll see, I believe that's why Jesus mandates it as the mission of the church. The priority of the church. And if Jesus says something is the mission of the church and the priority of the church, it better be. There's a reason. He wasn't just saying that randomly because he didn't know what else to say to his disciples as he was leaving. He was giving instructions for where we go as a church. And so I come to these three weeks in this year just with a deep heart for this subject. Because I believe it's the key to us as a church going deeper with Christ and being shepherded for Christ. A lot of your parents here. How many of you parents have ever thought about will my kids walk with God or not? Any parent ever think about that? I would bet every hand. <laughs> every hand is up. As a pastor, I think about that as a church. How will every person in this room walk with God? And so for the next three weeks, I want to address the issue of discipleship again. We'll look at a lot of different verses. A little bit of a fire hose. But I believe this is one of the most important things for the future of Village Bible Church that we can do. How are we going to make disciples? Next point in your notes is our mandate. Our mandate from God. What does God want us to do? See, the church, we exist for God's mission not ours. And so when we think of, well, how can we have purpose in life? It's not about what our purpose is it's about what God's purpose is, right? That's why the church exists. What happens if we start to exist for our own reasons? We, we lose sight of the very reason that we are here. We lose sight of discipleship and we fail at almost everything we do. We exist to accomplish God's mission. Turn with me to Matthew 28, 18. Familiar verse, but the key verse for the church. It's familiar because it's Jesus' mandate. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Gotta say, if I'm standing there listening to Jesus and he starts, discussion by saying, just so you know, all authority has been given to me. I'm like, stop it. This is going to be important. This is going to be key. And he goes on to say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's important It's important to break that verse down a little bit and understand what the command is. In verse 19 there, when it says, Go therefore, the, that, the go is not the command. The go is assumed. It's something that can be translated as you are going. It, it has a little bit of a command sense that you should be going. You should be doing this. But the main command is the next phrase, and make disciples. In fact, in those verses, that is the verb that controls the whole two verses. That is the mandate of those verses. Go make disciples. And if we, when we think of the mission of the church and what we're to be about, number one on our list should be what Jesus says we should be about. Go and make disciples of all nations goes on and we'll look at the, the next couple things in the next couple weeks. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those are how you make disciples. Those are ingredients of a discipleship. And we'll look at ingredients, but the command that that this morning if we get nothing else out of it, that we walk out of the door and say our purpose is to make disciples. That is our purpose as a church. In John 20:21 20, Jesus said to the, them again, "Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you." And we see that Jesus is sending his disciples and us as an extension of disi- as his disciples, and we'll see that we'll see that in a moment here. He is sending us to accomplish his purpose. Our purpose as a church isn't to have great potlucks. Even though we do. Our purpose as a church isn't to, to have great events. Our purpose as a church isn't just to feed the, the neighborhood. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples, and all of those things are contributing toward that. And if we lose sight of why we do anything we do, we lose focus, and those ministries will eventually fail. Why do we do anything we do to make disciples? In 2 Timothy 2, Paul is instructing his son in the faith, one of his disciples, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we see this woven throughout the text of of the entire Bible where people are passing on their faith. Timothy is instructed to entrust, to choose godly men, to entrust them with the faith and with teaching, and then instruct them to do the same thing. Instruct them to do the same thing. So our mandate is to make disciples. So the next question we really have to ask is, okay, what's a disciple? If we're supposed to make them, got to figure out what to make. My my sons love Legos right now. And they the other day, they they each had their Lego set uh, on the floor and all these parts just spread everywhere. It was great. I love to see them building stuff. And sometimes they'll try to build without the instructions. Not that they're male or anything. And, and, and they'll try to do this without the instructions. And what comes up with is something they created, but they'll often come to me and say, Daddy, I, I don't know what to do next. Like, well, what are you trying to build? Not sure. Just, just adding things. I think it's going to be a spaceship with wheels. Okay, then that's what you're trying to build. But you've got to know what you're trying to build. And that's where the instructions help out. As a church, if we're mandated to make disciples, we've got to know what that is. We'll talk about it in general today, and in the next two weeks, we'll look at, at very specifics of what a disciple is, what a disciple looks like, how we can disciples, how we can disciple. But Jesus here is saying, make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He doesn't say get people to accept Christ and leave them. Make disciples. Let me ask a couple questions. How many this morning, in your heart, and in, 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 in humble confidence, can say, I know that I am a believer. I know that I'm a Christian. Okay? How many of you sitting here can with that same humble confidence say, I know that I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay, lots of hands. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let me ask one other question. How many of you have ever been discipled? Okay, a number of hands. That's encouraging to hear. When we think of what a disciple is and what this command to make disciples means, we want to look at two different words, two key words. One word is used throughout the Gospels and Acts, and the other word is used throughout the Epistles. But the first word means to make disciples, to disciple. Mathituo is is the Greek word, if you are interested in that. And it literally means to copy someone, to be an an adherent to someone and their belief structure. When I think of of make disciples and the word for discipleship, the thing that comes to mind is kids playing follow the leader. And, And literally that's what it means to make disciples is someone is leading, the master is leading, and the disciples are in line and they literally followed right in line, copying everything they do. Now, it it wasn't like kids play follow the leader that, oh no, his arm's at this level or his arm's at this level. They would look at how the master lived life, what the master believed, and they would try to copy that the best that they could. And so when we talk about making disciples of Jesus, what are we talking about? We're talking about people that follow Jesus right behind him and walk the way he walked adhere to what he taught and acted the way he acted. See, a disciple is one that is Christ-like, that is becoming Christ-like. So it means to follow in the, the footsteps, to imitate Christ. Another aspect of Mathituo is the word always had a relational component. And this is the ingredient that I think we are so often missing in churches today, Discipleship always had a relational component where there was a a permanent relationship between the master and disciple that was a commitment to invest in each other's lives. This wasn't just sit and hear someone teaching. This was, I'm going to be involved in your life. And that is part of discipleship with Christ. We we are involved in, in, in Him. We are in Christ. We abide in Christ He indwells us. And there's an inner fellowship between master and disciple. Now, if we're to imitate Christ and if we're to make disciples, then that's the pattern of how we make disciples. There has to be a relational element. Otherwise, it is not discipleship. It is not discipling. When they looked at making disciples, their idea of discipleship was that much of what you took in as a disciple was what you observed. Not necessarily everything you were taught, although that was an ingredient of it, but it was about what you caught, what you observed the Master doing. And so we see that his disciples are so closely intimate, or so closely imitate Jesus that they pass on what it means to follow Jesus. But let me deal with the questions I answered. And Don, if you could put this up. Put the the graphic up. One more. A disciple is one who, you see a picture of the cross there, has accepted Christ and is on his way to glory and being like Christ perfectly in heaven with him when we are glorified. Now, here's the thing, and and here's one of the, the points that I want you to grab this morning. Every believer is a disciple. If you say, I know that I'm a true believer of Christ, then you are a disciple. So many times we, we make this dichotomy and we say, well, there's a difference between being a Christian and, and being a disciple. Because we view disciples as being super Christians. You know, after a couple of years, you get the cape. And, and then you're a disciple and you're, it, that's not biblical. It's not found in scripture because we see even in Acts, the, the terms believers and disciples are used interchangeably. Every believer is to be a disciple. Now the question is, are we, where are we on the continuum? Have we grown? Are we an immature, young babe in Christ, a, a, a baby disciple? Or are we progressing toward maturity? But discipleship starts at the new birth with Christ and it ends when we are glorified with Him in heaven. At that point, it will be about worship. It will be about worship. So every one of you that knows Jesus Christ, that has accepted Him as your Savior, you are a disciple. The second word that's used is imitate, or mimete. It means to copy, sort of like to mimic. And and, and my, my my kids are they've each gone through this phase where they like to mimic everything you say. It's hard not to let it drive you nuts. But, but they, they mimic, and because they're learning and trying to figure things out, that is one of the words that is also used for discipleship in the New Testament. It's to mimic, to use Jesus as a model for how we are to live, but also to use others as a model to learn how to follow Christ. Some verses that are helpful in this, to imitate Jesus, which is the goal of discipleship. 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we abide in him, if we say we're a believer, we ought to walk in the same way we're to mimic the way he walked. Philippians 2, 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Copy him. Mimic him. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And so we see a disciple mimics Christ. Follows him in his steps. But it's interesting, throughout the, the, the epistles, we also see this idea of we are to mimic someone else. We are to copy someone else that is discipling us. In 1 Corinthians 4:16-17, Paul is writing, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. 1 Corinthians 11:1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13:7, Remember your leaders Those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so with the second word, to imitate, we have two aspects. We're to imitate Christ, but then we're to imitate those that are discipling us because they reflect Christ. I have a mirror up here which helps us understand the the difference between the two because the fear with discipleship is "Am am I following a person or am I following Christ? And, and a Amir is, is very helpful here because my responsibility as a disciple is to imitate Christ. And so when you look at me, you should be seeing Christ. I don't know if I have the angle right, but let's just... As long as you're not seeing me. And the same is true when we disciple someone. Our disciple should... Or who we're discipling should look at us, be able to follow us, And we're this mirror that says, this is how you follow Christ. Discipleship isn't about following me. It's about how do I direct people to follow Christ? Am I a mirror that is is pointing people to the right direction? And so we, we have two aspects to imitate Christ, to imitate those that are discipling us. So let me give some definitions before we move on. We still have that up there. Good. First one, a disciple. A disciple who is one who has come to Jesus for eternal life, has claimed him as Savior and God, and has embarked upon a life, the life of following him. He's come to Jesus, claimed him as Savior, embarked upon the life of following him. A disciple is a believer. Discipleship is the process of becoming a disciple or growing as a disciple. Don, if you can put the next one up. This whole process is discipleship. Everything that goes into that. Meeting with someone for a year is not the whole of discipleship. That's the next definition of discipling. But everything that we do that helps us grow in Christ, coming and studying God's Word together, worshiping together, being involved in a community group together. Those are all parts of this continuum that we call discipleship. But the last point and where we want to focus as a church this year is discipling or disciple-making. It is the intentional relationship to walk life with another so that you can encourage, equip, and challenge each other with loving accountability to follow Christ. Catch all that? We're going to break it down in the next couple weeks. But it's an intentional relationship where I come alongside someone in the discipleship process and help them grow in that process. If you put up the next graphic, Don, this is discipling. Where someone comes in and for a period of time helps us grow. And then another person. And so we, we intentionally have people come in that say, here, let me teach you what it means to follow Christ. And I, I have a line there and an end point because most discipling relationships have a, an official end point, but the thing about true discipling relationships is they actually never end. That person is someone that is walking with you in life for the rest of your life. And so if we could do a dotted line that goes all the way to the end of the continuum... Really, that's what it looks like. I think of some of the men that have invested in me and and part of my story is is men that have have taught me how to be a man of God. And those men are still part of my process and part of um, my discipleship journey. And then the last one, Don, discipling implies reproduction where then we as disciples go and do the same thing for someone else. In fact, the point of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is to reproduce disciples. To spend the energy, to make it our mission, to reproduce disciples. See, if if the twelve are imitating Christ and make disciples, then they are teaching others to imitate Christ and make disciples. Who are teaching others to imitate Christ and make disciples? We're not off the hook the mandate for every one of us that is a believer is to make disciples. Make disciples. And so when we think of discipleship, we can think of it broadly as our entire Christian experience growing in Christ, but also narrowly and specifically as that period of time where someone is investing in us or we are investing in someone else. In the time remaining I just want to look at a couple of of scriptural examples. If you turn your page over, just some really interesting examples that as we, we look through scripture, we see this process happening over and over and over again. The first example is Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua. Joshua was the man that replaced Moses, that took over when Moses died. And we see that they had a discipling relationship from when Joshua was very young. In Exodus 24, 13 and 14. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us. Wait here for us until we return to you. And Behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let them go to them. And Moses is about to go up and meet with God. And He takes Joshua with Him. He takes His disciple with Him. Exodus 33, 11, Thus the Lord used, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I can do his picture of him. He's like, Did you know what just happened? Your face is glowing. It's amazing. I'm not leaving. I am not leaving. I want to see what happens next. And that's a little bit of the discipling relationship. And we see then in in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, Moses then passes the baton to him. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And we see Moses call out Joshua to leadership and direct him as a mirror to Christ or to God who is his strength and who will never leave him. Dads, if you want a passage to see how to call out your son to be men, I'd look at this passage. To call them to say, you are a man of God. You are here to serve God, to make a difference for God. And He will never leave you or forsake you. Here's the baton. Go. Run with it. What a picture of how to call out our young men to be men of God. But when I look at this situation, a couple of questions, and I think I have little boxes there for you. What was happening here? What was the end product? And how did they get there? The end product was Moses was pointing Joshua to God's provision, preparing him to take over And lead the nation of Israel. Parents, how many of you would like your your kids to lead and be leaders for Jesus Christ? Absolutely. It's your greatest joy. How did Moses do it? Time together. Many years serving together. And he even let Joshua come along on the good stuff. To come to the mountain. And so we see a discipling relationship where Moses was investing in Joshua and living life relationally together. Where I go, you come. Follow me because I'm following God. Elijah and Elisha. The next one you have there. The prophet Elijah passed on his ministry, his prophetic ministry to Elisha. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 19... It says, so he departed from there, Elijah did, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And, and for us, we're like, okay, so he threw his jacket on him. But that was a symbol of passing on a prophetic ministry. That was a symbol that says, you are going to be my replacement. And the passage goes on and Elisha says, and Elisha gets it, he says, I I need to say goodbye to my family. Elijah says, go and then come back. And, And Elisha goes, says goodbye to his family and leaves them and lives with Elijah and ministers with Elijah. And we see a number of stories where that's happening the rest of his life. And again, we see Elijah preparing a young man to take over the ministry to reproduce, to hear God's voice prophetically. And how did He do it? Come be with me. Spend time with me. Assist me. Let's serve together. Let me teach you how to follow God. Moving to the New Testament, Barnabas and John Mark. We just read through and studied the Gospel of Mark. So we see how God used Mark to to write an evangelistic Gospel, to write part of His Word. Mark was mightily used by God. But it wasn't always like that in this young man's life. In Acts 15, verse 37, and this is after the first missionary journey that Barnabas and Paul were together. John Mark came for part of it and then deserted them partway through. And so Barnabas and Paul are having this discussion, hey, should we take John Mark again? in verse 37 of Acts 15, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to their work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. We know Paul took Silas and went on the next missionary journey. And so Barnabas and Paul separated, but they each took a disciple with them to train how to minister. See, sometimes discipleship is part of the restoration process. When we have people that have walked away from God, when we have people that have fallen into sin, as a church, do we kick them out and say, there is no help for you, or do we disciple them? When they are willing, when they are ready, do we disciple them and say, there's restoration in the grace of God? There's restoration to come back and to walk with God. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for church discipline. Absolutely, church discipline is taught. But after church discipline, when someone has repented and come back, do we still castigate them or do we bring them back into a discipling relationship? And that's what Barnabas did with John Mark. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul's writing to his son in the faith again. And he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And we see a grand story story of discipleship being part of the restoration process. An example of God's grace. How did it happen again? Barnabas said, come with me. Come with me. Let's live life together. Minister with me. Travel with me. Are you seeing a pattern? Paul and Timothy. the last one. Or second to the last one. Paul and Timothy... Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, and this is in his introduction, but the words are so profound, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. And Paul here is describing a discipling relationship where Paul has helped him come to know the Lord. Discipleship often starts with sharing the gospel with someone. They aren't a disciple yet yet, But that's the first step of the discipleship process. And and Paul shares the Gospel. Timothy comes to faith. Philippians 2, verse 19. Paul is writing again about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him, no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the Gospel. With me. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. Paul's writing to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching. You've imitated my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. What was God doing in Timothy's life? He was equipping him to be a pastor, to lead the church, to to replace Paul at different locations where Paul had to leave and he'd bring Timothy in to do the work. How did it happen? Paul invested in him. Brought him along on journeys. He had a deep care for him. They spent time together. Paul taught him and by his example passed on what it meant to be a minister for Jesus Christ. It's four examples. Next week we'll begin to delve into Jesus and His disciples and talk about what a disciple looks like and what it means. But my goal this morning was just to give a a panorama of examples of how were men changed to change the world for Christ. And it was done through discipleship. Through someone coming alongside saying this is what it means to walk with Christ. On January 1st, when we first started talking about discipleship, I asked you to do something and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If if you're still doing it, praise God. But to just start praying for two people in the church. Pick two people Ask the Holy Spirit to put two people on your heart and just start praying for them. Every day this week. Will you do that with me? Will you pick two people? Say I'm going to pray for them every day. And we begin to develop a heart that is with people. See, coming and sitting isn't the whole of discipleship. It's it's an important foundation, it's an important part of it. But discipleship that brings longevity to disciples is so much more. And That's what we want to talk about the next two weeks as we embark on a journey together to change how we view raising up disciples for Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, I am humbled by these examples. I'm humbled by men who were willing to spend that much time investing in someone younger than them. Lord, but I pray that we catch the vision of what You mean when You say, go and make disciples. That we are intentional about that. That we are serious about that. That we will drop everything to make disciples in our homes, to make disciples in our church make disciples in our community and in the world Lord stir our hearts for each other burn our hearts a desire to see the others sitting in this room with us grow in Christ challenge us God that we are all part of that process Pray that you do an incredible work of discipleship here at Village. In Jesus' name.